Welcome back to After Office Hours with Kayla and Carrie. Well, Kayla, we have officially wrapped up the first semester of this year here at the University of Minnesota Duluth. So we had a very busy week last week and a very busy couple months. So Kayla, just tell me a little bit, how are you feeling? Relieved and sentimental, Carrie. Relieved because that was probably one of the most intense finals week that I have had in a long time and uh, sentimental because there's only one semester left for me in a higher education. So I'm looking forward to seeing what next semester has in store for me, but I am uh, right now presently just looking forward to enjoying Christmas and the upcoming holiday with my family. How are you doing, Carrie? Yeah, I, I know you had a lot busier of a week than I did, but I'm also in the same boat where I'm relieved to have it completely over so now I can enjoy this upcoming holiday week. But the end of the semester for me means no more school because I, I am graduating. So it is definitely bittersweet because this past year has been so impactful for where I am today. Um, so I'm a little bit bummed to be done because I know there is so much more that could have happened, but also so excited to have had such great opportunities that have made where I am now happen. And one very important person I have to thank for making my time at UMD so great is today's guest, Dr. Castleberry. He has been, and he is a true inspiration to me. I know to you too, as well, Kayla and yes. has had huge impact on where I am today. So we are so thrilled to have had the opportunity to capture his insight and to be able to share it here because it's truly invaluable. And I think our listeners are in for such a treat. So with that, happy listening and we hope you enjoy this interview. So we have a very familiar voice on the podcast this week, which we could not be more excited about. Business ethics and sales professor, Dr. Casper, joins us for the second time to dive deeper into his story and share some of his priceless insight. I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Castleberry for one of our first ever podcast episodes with Peyton prior to Carrie joining us for the podcast. And we are eager, extremely eager to have him back as soon as he has some free time, um, which we know it's uh, pretty rare to catch you in a free moment, Dr. Castleberry. <clears throat> so thank you for joining us again. We are so excited to have you. I'm tickled to be here. I'm looking forward to the questions. I I, I love both of you. I love what the Sales Club does, and I love what you're doing with these podcasts. It's been fun to listen to people that I know as well as people that I don't know to learn about their lives and how they got to where they are and what they've done. So thank you for inviting me to this again. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And we, like Kayla said, I wasn't there for the first recording. So selfishly, this was an exciting thing for me to get you back on the podcast. So I'm very excited to be here and to be doing this. We are going to focus on a couple main topics today. Um, those are going to be on fulfilling your passions and making the jump into a career and bridging that gap between school and that career. And then we have an exciting segment that we actually haven't done before where we will be asking you some questions from students, some alumni, faculty, anyone really in your network. So we're really excited for that part as well. But just to kick us off, starting with um, talking about some passions, you pursue a lot of different means of fulfilling life and purpose through so many different things like volunteering, teaching, consulting, 
just your general lifestyle. So what did your journey look like in crafting that life that you live today? That's a good question. Thanks for asking that, Carrie. So what did my journey look like in crafting this life I have today? It's been an interesting journey. It's been a long journey. I'm one of the oldest people you're probably going to interview in these series. Uh, as you heard in my first series, and I'll just, I'm not going to talk about this a lot, but I'll just tell you, part of crafting my life's journey and my life's mission and my passions is my faith. And I'll just get that on the table right away. Faith is a huge part of this, and it's everything for me. Uh, God gives me the strength, encouragement, and joy, uh, learning, adjusting, perspectives, strength, encouragement. I mean, everything, desire, love, everything. And, and that also includes passions. You know, so I think that comes about, and it's not just a passion for a spiritual thing, it's a passion just for life itself. Absolutely love life. I love learning. I love getting involved in as many things as I can and really getting into them as much as I possibly can. Uh, so my journey very much involves my faith and my, and my, uh, my God. It also involves Susie, my partner, my wife, uh, my partner in everything that I do together. So Susie and I together have helped form a lot of my passions and the passions that we share together. Uh, you know, I think that one thing that helps me develop my passions and crafts who I am is sort of this whole sense of why am I here? What is my mission? Why am I here in life? And I need to think about that and then live that. And so as I thought about that, as you, you asked the question, I thought of several different areas that I do have a lot of passion for. And some of those overlap with school and some of them don't. But I mean, that one passion I have is my children, training and teaching and developing and molding and learning from them. Uh, a second passion I have would be, as you know, that had me in class, I have the sustainable life, this organic life of moving to a farm and doing that whole thing of raising your own food and knowing that you're living a life that's hopefully going to leave the world a better place than, than when you got here. Kind of a third passion, I'm just kind of listing my passions now, my third passion would be, I guess I would say, uh, wanting to live a life of service and giving, giving back to the community on the fire department, giving back to the university, serving on lots of committees, being a department head, uh, chair of a lot of committees, uh, serving in our community in lots of different kinds of ways, uh, as well as professionally. So, you know, and I would say that as I think about developing and crafting all those different things, they came about at different times in my life and in different ways. And I can't, I mean, it would take 20 hours to explain how I got into all those different things. But what I found is that as I went through my life and I started developing a passion, for example, developing a passion for sustainability and living a life that's more pure and better for my body and better for, better for my children's body, I realized that as I got into that and I read about that and I studied that and I looked at people who were living that lifestyle, I learned from them. I learned from their mistakes. I learned from the things that they did that are extremely well. But I also learned an important lesson, and that is when you find a passion and you get into it, continue doing that even if no one else does it. When I moved to University of Minnesota Duluth, I was into sustainability and organic life and all that kind of thing. And I can tell you, it's different from it is now there. No one knew what I was talking about. No one knew what I was talking about. The university, I tried to get the university involved in some of this and they didn't know what it was. And so even though I have more children than most people, even though I was organic before it was cool and, and so forth, even though I do service when it doesn't make sense, I should just go home and rest because I'm an old man. Even if no one else does it, I continue to do it. So I'd say a big part of me in crafting my life is just making sure that I know what it is I want to do, who I want to be, and then doing it to the best of my ability, 
even if I'm sort of a lone wolf out there walking. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that's kind of a, a start thinking about that journey to crafting my life. That was a home run of an answer there, uh, Dr. Castleberry. You actually brought Carrie to tears there for a second. That, and that's, we can see and we feel your passion for life in general in class. That's uh, us students talk about that all the time. Just if we could have a fraction of the passion that you have for life and for living and for what you do, that's, it would, we, we would be more than happy. That's, I actually, it was my sister's birthday this past Friday. She just turned 18 and I stole one of uh, those pieces of passion that you have. And I told her in, in the, her little birthday card, um, take everything that you do and just suck the life out of it, pick it up, bring life out of it, be passionate about what you're doing and then move on to the next thing and just have a passion for everything. And I would like to accredit that to you. So Leah, if you're listening, it's uh, that piece of advice is from Dr. Castleberry. <laughs> so you said, Dr. Castleberry, that you have, you've, you've developed these passions along the way and it would take 20 hours or whatever to go through everything. And we would give you 20 hours, by the way, if we could, if you had the time, but at what point in your life did you realize that you were starting to pick up these passions and become passionate about them or become passionate about life or that you had this kind of aura, I suppose you could say, and how can we do the same to balance all the different aspects of life that we want to take on? Well, that's a good question. And first of all, I would say that for both of you, you have passion. I mean, in class, I've had both of you uh, carry for multiple classes, uh, cater for the one, but I see passion in your life. I see a passion for excellence, a passion for being the best person as you could possibly be. So don't sell yourself short. I'm seeing in you an incredible passion and you're going to go very far. How did I know when, when I had those passions and, and kind of how did I balance all that? You know, life is a, is a series of discoveries, isn't it? And I didn't have all these when I was 21 years old. I didn't. I didn't. I had many passions that are different than the ones that I've just listed now. Uh, so it's going to, it's, it's a stage, you go through stages of life and you develop new passions and new interests and new desires and new sorts of things. And I find one, I grab a hold of it. I just really live through it and work through it. And it becomes kind of a part of who I am. How can we balance all that? So that's the question. So I have a lot of passions, as you know, and as, as my wife can tell you, I just love to learn. I love to experience life in every way possible. How do you manage all that? Because there's only, I'm looking at a clock, there's only 24 hours on my clock, just like there is on yours as well. There's only 60 seconds in every minute. Uh, how, do we, how do we do that? I think one thing that's helped me in my life is to get a sense of time management. Mm -hmm. uh, you really need sometimes to make changes in your life to have time to accomplish what is really important to you. For an example, uh, maybe, maybe I said this in, in one of your classes, I'm not sure, but we got rid of our television 31 years ago. Now I have children and I understand they like to watch TV and so forth. We got rid of it 31 years ago. We just kind of threw it out and said, that's it. Not because we were opposed to television. You know, there's not any good thing on there. We're, we watched PBS, all kind of stuff. But it was like, if I want to have time to read to my children at night, and really spend the time and put them to bed and do things with them and let's go take a trip and let's do let's do something fun in the yard if I want to do lives of service and work on this organic thing I can't be stuck in front of a tv doing that so we got rid of our television and that was before there was the web by the way so I couldn't just go to my phone and get answers to questions right uh, so I had to make I made that change 
perfectly happy with that. A little bit of withdrawal at first, but it was a okay. The other thing I've, I think I've had to do in terms of time management, and this is something I encourage everybody to do in all of my classes, and that's learn when to say no. Mm -hmm. You have to learn when to say no to things that are going to suck your time and suck your energy away from your passions away from achieving your life's mission. The reality is that nobody in life is going to do that for you. They will control your time management. They will, they will control your calendar if you let them. But I don't want to march to your drum. I want to march to my drum and the beat that I have. Now, to be able to do that and to be able to say no, I have to be very good at what I do. I have to really invest my time and energy in all aspects of my life so that I'm doing my job to the best of my ability. I can't just tell my boss, no, I'm not going to do that. But certainly if I'm doing everything I'm supposed to and then he or she asked me to do something different that doesn't go with my passions or go with my mission statement or what I think is the best use of my time, then I have no trouble saying no, I'm not going to do that. And I think that as you get through, go through life and the more accomplished you are and the more you're known as someone that can get things done and get them done fast and well and efficient or whatever, they're going to be asking for you to do those things. Learn when to say no. You bring that up. Hale and I actually were having a conversation yesterday evening about learning to be better at saying no. I think we were saying, um, because both of us have dealt with it a lot. I think especially Kayla, I've gotten to know her really well, but she just, she wants to do it all and she does a really good job at doing it all. But we've learned a little bit that if you're saying yes to everyone, you don't have time, the time and be able to do it to the best of your ability to give what you want to those that are really close to you. If you're saying yes to the people that are maybe a little bit out of your inner circle. So spend more time, I think, saying yes to those, the people that really matter, the things that are really important to you. And it's learn that it's okay to say no sometimes as long as, as long as you're fulfilling it somewhere else. So obviously we're seeing that you have a lot of passion and you've been able to stick with that um, into your career. So a lot of us listeners here and Kayla and I ourselves are going to be jumping into careers very soon. So do you have any advice for us to stick to those passions and keep them ignited as us students are transferring into roles that might suffocate those passions or might just, you know, make it harder for us to keep following those? It's a great question. And, um, you know, I, I'm thankful again that both of you have a lot of passions and you're, you're starting to get a real sense of who you want to be and, and how you want to manage your life. And I encourage all of my students and all the listeners to really get a sense of that as well, because that's going to make a difference in the answer that I'm getting ready to give right now. Because if you don't really know who you want to be and where you want to go, uh, your passions can float away and you won't be able to accomplish them. I would say one of the, the, the answers I would get to the question is, again, like I've all just said about saying no, you manage your own life you manage your own life. Don't give that permission to anyone else, not to your boss, not to your employer, not to anyone else. It's your life to manage the way that you see fit. And when you do that, when you start managing your own life and trying to achieve the passions that you've got for yourself, your personal mission statement, whatever it is that you have, your strategic plan for your life, be prepared for pushback, okay? So don't expect it's going to be this bed of roses when you start saying, I won't do that, or this is what I really think I need to spend my time on. 
Be prepared for ridicule, being misunderstood by people that don't really share your passions. It's been true in my life, I think, for every one of my passions. I have eight children, and if you want to hear about pushback and people ridiculing, why do you have eight? Why the economy, the world, all the kind of things going on? It's okay. I'm fine with that. I hear. I hear what you're saying. I know what I'm doing. I know why I'm doing that, and I'm okay with that. So I'm ready for that pushback. You know, I think about my passion for sustainability and organic and trying to put good things in my body and live in an environment that has fresh air. Uh, I, when we started building our new building for LSBE and I wanted a green building, they said, what should we do? I was a department at the time. What should we have in this building? What, how should we design the classrooms and how should we have office space and so forth? I raised my hand and said, I want it to be sustainable. And again, there wasn't a lot of real understanding even what that meant. When I believe it or not, when I raised that, when his apartment had, and what I really meant was I want to work in a green building that doesn't have off gassing of the furniture and the paint and everything else. And people were kind of looking at me like, really? I mean, we're talking about teaching space. I see, yeah, but the, the, what we breathe is even more important. Some of those kind of things. So be prepared for people to push back, but manage your own life manage your own life would be the best advice that I could give you to keep from suffocating the passions you have in your life. That totally makes sense too. And that's cool. I didn't know that uh, you were around during that, during LSBE being built as well. It's a beautiful building. And I have taken note as to on, on the note of sustainability, um, just all the different ways that this building is sustainable, such as the carpet squares or the multitude of windows and the reduced water flow. It's absolutely incredible, but even more incredible that you are, that you're able to carry that sustainability and passion into here, a building that's going to be here uh, far past when uh, Carrie and I are going to be. It's absolutely incredible. So uh, Dr. Casbury, I think we've kind of seen a theme here, like as Carrie and I have kind of recognized, you are an extremely successful person, not only in your career, but also a successful person at life. And uh, one of the common characteristics I've noticed in uh, the successful people in my life has been being passionate at what you're doing, as well as being able to say no, managing your own life, all of the things that we've talked about so far. So what are some common traits that you have seen from students that have set them up for success in their careers? Because I imagine when you were a student, you were also surrounded by successful students, and now you have the opportunity to work with them on a day-to-day -day basis. So what's uh, something that you've picked up on along the way that you've seen translate into a career for students? Yeah, so I think what you're saying is what are, what do successful people look like and what do students have that demonstrate that they're going to be successful when they get out in their careers. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that I see and, and, and I see this and then I, I've noticed this a long time in my life and then I continually track this because I'm a student of life. I look at you two and I watch what you do in class and then I, I look at your traits and then I look at how successful you are five, 10 years down the road and I go, yep, I think that trait had a lot to do with it. So some of the things I would see are, you know, and these aren't in any kind of special order, but just a strong work ethic. The, the ability and the desire to put the time and effort in to work very, very hard. Working smart is extremely important too, don't get me wrong. And it's not just about, but I put in a lot of hours, it's being smart in that, but just putting in the hours and working at it. There's so many things that are vying for your time that you could do other than study, other than work, other, but you have that strong work ethic. Another thing that I think is gonna help students go a long way in their career is to have a real desire for honest feedback. You know, you've got to be able to have people tell you 
you, you blew it, you messed up, it wasn't perfect, here's something that could be changed, here's something that could be worked on. And as you know, in the classes I've had you in, I've given you lots of feedback on presentation mm -hmm. skills, on everything else, and having the ability to take that and accept it in the, in the spirit that it's given, in love, in a desire to improve oneself, I think is really good. Uh, a developing confidence. I don't expect my undergraduate students to already have a high level of confidence in themselves or their skills or whatever. And I get that. It takes time. It took time for me. The person you see right now is not the person that I was when I was 21 years old. I was much younger and had a lot more hair. But I mean, if I see someone that has a developing confidence, that's a really good indication to me that they're going to be successful. Obviously, communication skills, the ability to listen, the ability to read nonverbals, the ability to do all those kind of communication things. What else? Integrity. Extremely, extremely, extremely important. Not taking the short road. And integrity is really being true to yourself and being true to your values when no one's looking or when you know, you don't have to, there's an easier way out, but having integrity to the process, integrity to your being, integrity to who you are is extremely important. I think if you have those kinds of things, most employers can train you and teach you in whatever other skills you need. They can't give you integrity, okay? They can't really give you that work ethic. You have to really develop and want to have that on your own. Well, you know, there are a lot of really great traits. A lot of it, like you said, like you can't, it's hard to learn how to do. It's hard to grow confidence and to keep that growing. But a lot of things can be taught and trained once you do enter your career. But that still is a very big jump going from being a student for 21, 22 years or 18 years or however long it is, and then going into the workforce. Like I, I'm doing it very soon and I'm unsure what to expect, even though I've heard a lot of insight from a lot of other people. But I would love to hear from you. I know this is, it's, a, it's a very high level question. There's a lot of ways you could go about it, but do you have any advice on making this jump go smoothly or at least as smooth as we can possibly make it? Okay, thanks. So yeah, making that jump from being a college student to your first, I call it a real-time big job, you know, like full-time and making the big money with a lot of expectations because you've just graduated from college. And there you're right, I could go a trillion different ways to how to make that jump smooth. And I think what I really want to focus on here is one very uh, basic kind of thought. I see students as they go from undergraduate degree to their first real big time job. And I see a lot of apprehension, a lot of fear, a lot of concern, a lot of just what's going to happen. You know, how am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to measure up? And when I sit down with students in my office and talk about that, or mostly I talk to them on the telephone or, or I, I chat with them uh, in some other way, some of the social media kind of things, I try to help them understand that, you know, the skills you had in college or the skills that they, they hired you for that they want you to use in the real world. Don't view that jump as a monumental jump to a whole new life that's totally different. It's not a whole new life. They hired you for the skills that you have right now that they're gonna develop further to make you who they want you eventually to be. So it rather it's just a new segment in your life to enjoy and learn through. I'll give you a metaphor. So think of a metaphor of maybe driving a car. We all drive cars, right? And you drive a car all the time and you know how to drive a car. And, and you're pretty comfortable with doing that if you live in the Midwest. I mean, you've driven in the snow, you kind of know how to do that. 
if you think about jumping to a new career and some people have that apprehension, it's almost like they think they're going to go from driving a car to maybe switching to be the driver of a rocket ship. And that's going to be this apprehensive unknown. Can I do it? There's so many things I can mess up. Can I do this? I just don't know how it's going to be. You don't, you're not going to drive a rocket ship. Okay. You're still going to be in a car. It's a new segment. It may be a bigger car, a nicer car. Maybe you're on the Autobahn, okay, with no speed limits, or maybe you're in a new area that you've never driven in before, but you're still in a car. You're going to take the skills that you have, you're going to develop them further, but you're using the skills that you've been developing in college. If you have that mentality, then you, when you walk in the first day, it's not like this is all new. It's not all new. You're the same person. You're going to be using those skills. I hope that helps. I mean, that's, that's helped some students to realize come down a little bit on the fear level. They hired you for a reason. Let's just take that and keep driving the car and just get better at driving the car. I think that is so true that, like you said, uh, so many students do graduate and enter the workforce. And well, speaking from actually a student point of view, it's very true. It's this huge hype around, you're making the next big step. It's the next chapter. It's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to Z. It, it's all this stuff, but it's really just the next step in your, what I look at it as, it's the next step in your learning career. It's just a continuation of college. It's pen to paper kind of a thing. So I'm personally very excited to make that jump, but I'm also uh, extremely nervous. I'm excited to see Carrie make that jump here come January. Very excited to see what she does at Ecolabs and uh, all my peers too. I just, I know that uh, the Here's my class, we're gonna make that jump and it's just going to be a continuation of our learning. Nothing to fear guys, nothing to fear. <laughs> so- and remember, and, remember, and remember, I'm sorry, remember you're not, you're not anxious, you're excited. Yes. Right, That's so it's that mentality of being excited for it instead of this must be anxiety because I don't think I can perform. Exactly, that's, all, that's all. Yep. another uh, Catholic tip from class. <laughs> Uh, nervousness and excitement. It's actually the same thing. It's just all in how you spin it. Helps a lot with presentation. Touch in there, Casperi. I have been telling that to everyone I know, especially now when they're telling me how stressed they are and how nervous they are for finals and presentations. I'm like, no, you're not nervous. You're so excited to do this. You're, you're saying the same thing here. So I have that's ingrained in my mind now. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard Carrie say that, I'd have at least $10. <laughs> so, okay. And so speaking of great advice from class, uh, Castleberry, one of the pieces of advice, not advice, it was more of a suggestion, I suppose, that you gave us yesterday in class was stay in contact with me. I want to know where you're going to be in the world, want to know what's going on, want to know how my class can be more applicable to students. And you're one of the professors that I'm sure, like you said, you have a long, long list of people who stay in contact with you from your class, as well as professional work life, et cetera. So how can we as students, how should we and how can we maintain relationships that we have made here while a student? Because it's easy to reach out right now because we have a purpose and a reason to, but sometimes there's a little bit of apprehension to reach out when it's just maybe an update in our lives since we talked last last year at some point. Yeah, that's good. And you know, I, I encouraged you yesterday in class to keep up with me. 
And I've, as I told you in class yesterday, part of my reason for putting you in different groups is to really develop new friendships and stronger friendships that you can take the rest of your life. And I hope that happened. You know, and we all want to take the friendships that we have currently and just get better and better at them. I would just say, don't sweat it. I mean, you're going to make new friends. That's okay. You're going to make some friends and some friends that you had in college may kind of not be as friends, but they're still there. So don't sweat it. Just let it be an organic thing that happens in your life. But I will tell if you want to maintain those relationships that you've made while a student, it takes work. It takes work to keep friendships alive. You can't just be LinkedIn and just click uh, like on their Facebook or their Instagram post or on their LinkedIn kind of things. Just go click. Yep, I agree or congratulations or whatever. You've really got to do some work on that. Uh, do the work, flesh it out, get in their lives in a non-superficial kind of way. I told you I know about some of my students that have been out for 30 years, and I know their kids' names, and I know what's happening in their life and what they're volunteering for, and that just takes some time. It takes some time to communicate. So if you want to give that time and invest that time, then you'll have those friendships, but it does take that. Uh, and as you think about that, I would also encourage you as you leave here, you're going to have these LSBE friends and maybe your advanced selling class friends, maybe three years down the road when you reconnect with them, you can certainly talk about how crazy Castleberry was or this ridiculous thing he did in class or whatever, but dig deeper, learn about what's happening in their lives right now. Don't be afraid and don't forget to ask them what's happening right now. What keeps you awake at night? What, what do you love the most about life right now? Those are good starters that keep you in their life right now as opposed to just going back to a little microcosm of when we were in LSBE for four years. Yeah, I think that's huge is not just going from, okay, we talked in school, we had four years of college together. I haven't talked to you in 10 years. Oh, dang, I haven't reached out to this person. I'm going to do it now, but I have 10 years gap that I haven't heard from. So I think that's great advice. It's like <laughs> to keep that, keep the relationship going, whether it be, a message every couple months or something like that, but just to stay in touch, I think is huge. And we've talked about it a couple of times on this podcast of how doing that might be uncomfortable, but we're, we're working on everyone being more comfortable being uncomfortable. So I think a lot of people, I haven't, I haven't built the best relationships with as many people as I'd want to in LSBE, but I definitely want to do that. So I'm definitely going to be having to take those steps um, to step out of my comfort zone because it's important to me to have those relationships. And I hope that I'm able to have those relationships down the road, especially with the success that's going to come from the students, especially in our advanced selling class. We have some incredible talent in there and they're all going to go work for amazing companies and get amazing jobs. And having those connections with people that you're sitting next to every day is just it's just huge. So I think that's something that Kayla and I both are going to be working, working really hard to be able to keep doing and keep those connections and make them long term. But we're going to do a little bit of a 180 now and jump into our Q&A from the public. So for a little background for listeners, um, Kayla and I both have had the opportunity to hear a little bit from Castleberry from setting up time to talk and just chatting in class. But we know that a lot of students, a lot of people in his network, um, any student of his or faculty member probably has questions that they want answered because we know we had a lot of questions that we wanted answered. So we sent out um, a survey that people could send in questions for Dr. Casper to answer on the podcast today. So he was kind enough to be willing to send that out with for us too and get as all these wonderful questions that we're about to ask. So 
we're going to take a little bit of a jump back and have Dr. Castleberry, if you will, share with us a little bit about the start of your career and that path. And what, what did you do to jumpstart your career? That's our first question today. And that's a good question. Thank you, Carrie. And when I saw that, and I, I should have probably have checked on the, exactly what we meant by that, which career, because I've had several careers and mm-hmm. I still own and manage a, a, my own publishing company. I'm a professor. I'm a consultant. I was a salesperson. So which career, you know, uh, I, I think I would just talk about jumpstarting my career because my career in sales was leaving college just like you did trying to incorporate the kind of things that I've been telling you, trying to develop the skills that I thought were important to be successful, and then engaging in those activities that I've told you about. In terms of my career as a a professor, how did I jumpstart that? Uh, Maybe some of you have heard. My dad really, my dad passed away one week before my my marriage at 23. I was a salesperson. I was enjoying that life. Things were going great. Everything was just fantastic. But when my father passed away very unexpectedly at at my age of 23, he was only uh, 56 years old. I realized that whatever I wanted to do, I, I didn't need to wait on that. And not that I thought I was going to pass away at 24, but you know, life is short. And if I want to be a teacher, then I maybe need to start that now. And so two months after I'd been married, I actually visited a PhD program and started that. So what jumpstart my whole desire to get back into the, become a professor was a catastrophic event in my life and reflecting upon that and thinking about that and learning lessons from that. So uh, there's other parts about that, but I mean, that, that's kind of what started that career uh, in, in professorship, professorship. It's a wonderful, not a wonderful story, but it's a very powerful story. I'd say with a uh, powerful lesson to a lot of us, which is that life, life is short. You like, talking about earlier you gotta pick it up and wring the life out of life and be passionate about everything at hand and uh like we've been saying casper you are the prime example of that and i think your jump start to your career is also speaks volumes to uh an example that we should all live by which is just if you want to do it do it if you want to go get your phd go get your phd so uh Calisbury, when was the exact moment that you knew you wanted to be a professor and that you didn't want to stick in the realm of sales? That's, I know I, I personally have been toggling with the idea of teaching in higher education later down the road, but there's, uh, there's, I don't know, was there really one true moment that you said, yes, this is the career path that I want to take? Well, that's a, that's a good question, and I look forward to talking to you, Kayla, over the years if you ever want counsel and thought about what it takes to get a PhD and kind of the thought process, some things to think about that maybe you haven't thought about. And I'm, I welcome that with anybody that's on, ever listens to this podcast. I'd love to talk to you about my, my journey and what I think it takes to, go, to be successful, at least going through a PhD program. So what was the moment I knew I wanted to be a professor? I don't know if there was a moment, but you know, when I was a student in undergraduate classes, Honestly, I would sit there and I was a, okay, I was a good student, right? So I, I did all my reports. I did them all correctly. I did all my assignments early. I loved being a student. The four years of undergraduate school were not a pain for me. They were a joy for me. I loved almost every minute, not every minute, but almost every minute. But I remember sitting in class. I remember one stats class. Remember stats? I remember I was in one stats class and it's one of those large giant classrooms with 150 people in or whatever. And I'm listening to professor talk and I'm realizing I don't know what he's talking about. I've read the textbook. I've studied everything I can. 
I don't understand. And I looked around, I just looked around at, at the peers in my classroom and realized they didn't have a clue what he was talking about either. It didn't make any sense. He wasn't doing anything visually or anything that was helping us understand that. And at that moment in the class, I just thought to myself, how would I teach this right now? How would I teach this concept? If I knew it, if I understood it, what would I be doing? What would I be doing visually? How would I break people up and so forth? And that happened in several other classes as well. And then for some strange reason, and I don't, I never did find out why, in some of the classes I took, the professor actually split the class into two and he would take half the class and, and he would assign me the other half a class. This happened in several kind of classes, finance class and everything else and said, you help them work on problems and I'll help this other half the class work on problems. And I don't know why he did that. I was just an undergraduate student like you are, but he, he did that for me. Uh, several professors did that to me in two different classes. I thought, well, this is odd, but I love it. And I did help a number of my college roommates and so forth with their classes and explain concept to them. So all those things together kind of helped me give a sense of, I think I can communicate topics in a way that's understandable and I can kind of get from their nonverbal cues and their verbal cues, whether it's working or not. And so those are some indicators. And then when I finished my undergraduate program, the chairman of the department said, Steve, I want you to stay and get your MBA right now. We'll pay for everything. Uh, you should be a professor someday and I want you to help me write a textbook. And so I actually worked at just finishing, just, just starting to finish up my undergraduate degree. I actually helped the major professor in our, in our program start writing a textbook in strategic management. So those kind of things gave me a sense of what, why, why are you looking at me that way? But that's, that's kind of what gave me a sense that, yeah, I thought I might want to be a professor. What an awesome story that your professors in college kind of bluntly threw you in and said, you're going to go teach half the class. So you kind of, they knew, they knew it was in you. You think you just had to find it in yourself, but I think we know that you, you jump-started your, your first job after college was a sales position. Um, and then you, from that, you went and got your PhD and started teaching. Mm -hmm. How did you know exactly what you were good at and what you wanted to teach? Did you find that? Cause you are a business <laughs> ethics professor, right? I think is, is what exactly it is, but was there something that you did or was it in that sales position? Was it in something else in life that you kind of, you know, probably grew a passion for and you're like, I really want to teach this or how did that come to be? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you don't know what you want to do until you do it. And then you get feedback and you say, boy, I love teaching this topic or I really don't care for teaching this topic. And the students are going, you're fantastic or, you know, maybe not so much. So whatever. I've taught a lot of classes. I've taught 10 different undergraduate classes and 10 different graduate classes. I'm currently a professor of marketing and business ethics. So that's kind of my title that I gave myself. And those are the two sort of areas uh, that I really enjoy. Communication would be the other one that I just enjoy. Everything has to do with communication. And how do I know I was good at it? Again, I don't, I still don't think that I'm really good at it. I know that I love it. I enjoy teaching it. I enjoy crafting projects and assignments and things that get students in the material. And I love the feedback that I get later down the years that said, you know, this so-and-so really helped me. Uh, and I like to do what I, I like to teach what I have real life experience in what I'm currently doing as a consultant, as a trainer, uh, as a business owner, <laughs> uh, and, as well as, you know, a textbook author, the things that I have real life experience in. That's what I love, because then the students are going, you're not just a ivory tower person. You still do this. You've done this. You know what works in the quote unquote real world. So those are things. Those are the kind of courses that I enjoy teaching the most. 
I think that having that connection to, I don't know, everyone calls it the real world, but you know, the world outside academia, having a foot in both worlds is so critically important as students to be able to see that in the professors. And uh, Casper, you demonstrate it very well every single day on a day-to-day -day basis in every single interaction and in every uh, way that we, that we, Carrie and I, have been able to learn in your class. Uh, for example, the negotiation sessions that we just got done with. What a wonderful way to experiment with a real world situation in a safe environment, like you had mentioned as well. So Casper, uh, did you have any hesitations on taking up per being a professor as well as all of the other real world businesses and experiences that you have? Did you ever have any hesitations in taking this path or was there ever a day that you thought maybe this isn't totally for me and how do you overcome that? Uh, that's good. And first of all, let me say, I mean, you made some comments. I'm just a human like everybody else. And I have days where I'm not the best in the classroom and, and I'm not pumped and I'm not excited. And in some classes, unlike the classes I have semester, this semester with you folks, uh, the class, you, as a professor, you get a lot of your energy off your students. You just do. And so when a student is active, engaged, nodding their head, they're listening, they're doing things that gets you pumped, that gets you going. When 30 out of 40 students are in their laptops or looking at their phones or are looking down or not paying attention, that makes you not want to do it. Just so you know, I mean, that makes a huge difference. And that, that's true for most faculty. And I make mistakes all the time as a professor. I do really dumb things and I am embarrassed by them, and I, but I learn from them, I try to do it. So I'm definitely not perfect. So to answer your question, how did you know you made the right decision to do this and, and not pursue something different? Well, one thing I love about being a professor, professor is I'm a full-time professor. Yes, I'm a full-time professor, but it gives me so much leeway to conduct research, to engage in service, to train, to consult, to own businesses that, that I can bring that knowledge back in the classroom. So it didn't constrain me into one little mold that I have to do every day. That just, I love that about my job and about my life. If there's something that intellectually interests me, I pursue it. And I will do something with that that helps my career and helps students and helps serve the public, helps serve Minnesota or something like that. But how did I know I made the right decision when I saw students learning, when I saw students having fun, when I saw them be and mostly being successful in their careers and and saying that, you know, the coursework or maybe the textbook or whatever helped them in their careers, then that was a real indicator to me that I probably made the decision that I should have made. And knowing that I had some small part in that, and please don't misunderstand me. I don't have full, you both came into my class as outstanding, wonderful, very skilled, very gifted sorts of people. I'm not the one that did anything but a very small part of development of your skills, but just to see people move on and be successful and happy in their life and having a small part do that, that just turns me on like you, you couldn't believe. And so that helped me realize I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I think I was doing the right thing. Right. You definitely are. And me personally, you have had a huge, 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 huge impact on getting me where I am and getting you, obviously people that are listening here can hear your passion, hear your excitement for teaching and everything you do. And like you said, like you build off the students in your class. I'm the type of person who builds off other people too. So when I see your passion, I see your excitement from the first day of my fundamentals of selling class, I was more excited and more confident in my choice of sales than I ever have been. And that was a very enlightening and opening moment for me. So 
you you do a lot and I hope you know that because you have a big impact on a lot of people. But we did touch back a couple of questions ago on a you just you know casually threw out there that you write a textbook. So it initially started with the strategic management textbook, I think you said, and now you have written the number one sales textbook worldwide, which is just crazy. And I think a lot of us have no clue what that entails or how that comes to be. So were there like, I don't know, you can give us just kind of a general background on what that looks like and how you were able to use your experiences and your knowledge to craft that textbook and obviously make it what it is today. Well, there's an interesting process. Uh, I, I love writing. I, I write a lot. Again, I've got a publishing company and in that publishing company, my wife and I write all the books that we publish. Uh, so I, I love to write. I was actually asked to consider being a co-author of this very successful sales textbook. Several of the other authors had passed away or moved on. And there was one person that was left, Bart Weitz, who is just world renowned, just a fantastic guy. And there was a competition, a competition for who would be the co-author with Bart. And they asked me to write a chapter and I chose a chapter on closing the cell, right? And I wrote the chapter in such a way that my perspective is to teach sales as an honest, ethical profession, not one full of tricks, but one that you could gladly talk to your priest, your pastor, your mom, or anybody and say, this is what I do. It's all about helping people resolve issues that they have in their life and, and solving problems and giving them better kinds of things. And that perspective, when I wrote that chapter and I wrote how I would engage as a co-author on the book, it resonated with my main co-author, which was Bart Wise, and it, it worked. And then I got on the book and just kind of then developing that over the years and, and keeping in contact with people and learning best practices and where the profession's going, where's it going to go down the road, the partnership perspective, all that kind of thing. That's what's made it a very successful textbook. We have, it takes a lot of work. I mean, there's lots of research, lots of reading, lots of drafts, talking to professionals, meeting strategy session, looking at competitive books, doing SWOT analysis, target markets. How's our book different than others? So that's kind of what it is to write a book. But all those things together helped me write the book, I think. And, and my experience in sales, my students' experience in sales has also helped in that. It's been a fun process. It's in the 11th edition, and, you know, we're talking about the next one. So it just keeps going. It amazes me, you know, because books don't have that long of a life. They usually don't. They get replaced by someone else. And yet this old man is, is still out there doing it. So it's, it's, it's kind of amazing. But it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely incredible, Dr. Casperi. Have you ever considered writing, like writing another personal life book? Um, you've had a plethora of experiences, definitely enough to fill a few chapters of a book at, at the minimum. So have you ever considered that? We've actually written other books and I'm here, I'm not here selling anything, but my publishing company, we've written several books. I told you we went back to become, I didn't go back. I changed my life to become a sustainable, organic life on the farm raise your kids on a farm kind of thing. And that was new to me. I'd never done that. I didn't grow up farming. I didn't grow up having animals of any kind. I didn't do any of that kind of stuff. So this was all a brand new thing for me. So we've actually written two books that we've published. And again, I'm not trying to sell them at all, but the two books that talk about my journey of how I got to where I did. And there's a lot of funny things because as you can imagine, someone that's never had animals, that's never raised crops, that's never worked on tractors, that's never had to do that stuff. It's kind of embarrassing and funny at the same time. So I have written some books about that. Thought about writing other books. I mean, there's all sorts of things 
I've gotten offers from other people to potentially write some other books. But you know, it's always come back to managing my life. How much time do I have? How do I want to spend my time? What's the best use of my time? And so far, my life strategic, my, my last mission statement and my yearly strategic plan tells me no on any more writing at this point in those areas. But that's kind of that's kind of where I am right now. All right. I'm going to take well, Oh, go ahead, Kayla. Yep. More detour here because I think this is something that our listeners should hear. Can you touch a little bit more on that strategic plan? I know you had touched on it in class with us, but uh, what does that entail for you? You're definitely, you're a continual self-learner. And I think this is something that our listeners should take away. Okay. So I have, so first of all, I have a life's mission statement and that's available and everybody can see that and I make that publicly available. So that is available for people to see what is my life's mission. So why am I here? Where do I get my strength from? Uh, where do I get my self-esteem from? What kind of relationships do I want to have with all kinds of different people and so forth? So that's my mission statement. That's what drives me. That then becomes my guide for my strategic plan, my personal strategic plan. You can't see that. That's only for me to see. But what I have is strategic plan. I have it by year. And then I have several columns across there. And this sounds is going to sound really dorky or whatever, really crazy. But it's all in a spreadsheet. And so I have a column for teaching, a column for research, a column for service, a column for the fire department, a column for my personal life with my wife and my children and so forth. And what do I hope to accomplish in that year? What is my plan for that year? And, it, and it's based upon a reflection of what happened last year and how am I doing and what do I need to do now? So it includes two things. And again, I'm not going to share with you, but it includes what I will do with God's help, what I will try to do in this next year. And it also includes what I will not do, what I will say no to. And so right now, if you were to ask me certain questions, I wouldn't have to hesitate with the yes or no. I would instantly say no, because I've already given pre-thought to that, that that maybe is something I've done in the past, but I'm not going to do it again. And it may not be a bad, it's not a bad thing. It's just, it doesn't fit with where I want to go now. And so that strategic plan keeps me on target. Now, having said that, and everything you've heard me say, there are times when I veer from that and I get pulled away by someone that's got a great idea or something they really need help with, or can you please do this? Or we need you to chair this committee because you're the only one that can do it. And then when I always do that, I sort of regret it because I realized that even though I could do that and accomplish that task, it took me away from something that I did want to accomplish in that year, that time frame that I wasn't able to do either at all or to the best of my ability. So that strategic plan just keeps me focused, keeps me grounded on what I'm trying to accomplish. It's, it keeps you following your goals and keeps you in line. I think that's something that we have been talking about. And even in past podcasts with other guests of setting goals and making, how do we hit those goals once we've set them? So I think that's a great way to do it. And you've kind of simplified it. Although I'm sure your spreadsheets are very intricate, but a simple way to look at it is what will I do this year? And what will I not do? I think that's, that's a great way to do it. And everyone should be able to do that, or at least come up with a couple things to, to add to that list. So our next question from the public is, I'm sure a lot of people here can tell that you're maybe not from here. You have a little bit of a Southern accent. So how did you end up up here in freezing cold Minnesota, actually Wisconsin, Minnesota, so Midwest area, but how did you, how did you get here? That's interesting. Um, 
I was a professor at University of Georgia, was there for six years, built my dream house in Georgia, my dream house. Every, every amenity we ever wanted, deep in the woods, you know, a lot of privacy, everything was perfect. And like six months after moving in, I came home and told my wife we're moving. And she said, really? What are we doing, Steve? Uh, I, got, I moved to Northern Illinois University to become an endowed professor of sales and marketing. And I really set up one of the first sales programs in the country. And that was just a unique opportunity at a very young age of life, maybe 30 years old or whatever, to come and set up a complete sales program without a model to do that with and see if we could pull it off, see if we could be the sales program in the whole Chicagoland region. And that was a lot of fun. So I did that and I was there for three years and I loved it. Oh man, I loved it. Fantastic students. Everybody from Chicago that ever hears this, all my former students, I love you to death. I loved everything about Chicago. The only thing I didn't like, the only thing that wasn't there that I needed was it that also at that same time we were moving toward a sustainable lifestyle and a desire to be organic. And if you know anything about that whole Chicagoland area, it's all monoculture, it's all spray, it's all doing that kind of thing. I couldn't find land upon which to grow my own crops and raise my own animals that I could afford because the price of everything was too high. And so then UMD had an opening and I just explored this. I flew, I, we drove up here during the worst snowstorm that's ever happened, I think in Duluth, the October uh, 31st snowstorm back in 91, 92 or whatever, and fell in love with this place. And I told Susan, even, and we found farms. The big thing is we found a farm. We found a number of farms that we could live on that we could afford. 100 acre farm we live on now, we found this. And I said, even if I don't get the job offer, I think we'll move to Duluth because I can consult. They've got an international airport. I can fly anywhere in the world. I can just consult the rest of my life, but also got the job offer. So I kind of did both. So that's how I got up here. Uh, and I, and I love the Midwest. I lived 30 something years down in the South. And now I've probably lived more years in the Midwest and I love it here. This is a great place. And I would tell people also, I mean, I, I talk to students all the time and say, I want to work for 3M or whatever company is, but I don't want to move. I don't want to move. I don't want to move away from my family and friends. And I get that. I totally get that. My nearest, my nearest relatives, 1300 miles away now when I lived here, right? So they're all a long way away. You can do it. You can enjoy. You can make new friends. You can develop a new life around a whole new thing. And what I found is I love that. I love having to learn everything new from scratch. And I don't know anybody and I've got to go develop a set of relationships locally. I thrive on that. So that, that worked for me. May not work for most people, but it worked for me. So anyway, that's how I got here. Such a cool journey and also a cool leap. And one that I personally need to hear too a little bit about it's okay if you do make the move because you will land on your feet on the other side. It's not like you're moving planets or anything, just simply states. Mm -hmm. Yes. So we're coming to the top of the hour here. I, I really wanted to rebuttal on that a little bit more, but we're coming to the top of the hour. So I should probably wrap it up. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for hanging in here with us and listening to some absolutely astounding life advice from Dr. Dr. Castleberry. I'm just still, I'm still floored, like from being an author to the life goals that you set, the passions that you bring to everyday life and everyday interactions, being a life teacher, farmer, publisher, the list goes on and on. And uh, I guess at the end of the day, we all have to remember, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. We all have the same 24 hours that Dr. Casper has. 
So listeners, I hope you picked up a thing or two from our hour here with Dr. Cassaberry to uh, help streamline your 24 hours that you have in your day as well. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for letting me be here. Thank you, Carrie and Kate. I look forward to seeing what happens to you going forward. You're going to have wonderful, wonderful careers. Thank you so much, Dr. Cassaberry. So I hope you all now understand what Carrie and I are talking about with Dr. Cassaberry and the impact that he has had on Carrie and I, as well as our peers after listening to that interview. Dr. Cassaberry's outlook on life is definitely one of a kind and something that I at least haven't found in anybody else that I've encountered thus far in my professional life. He is an incredible mentor, person, and overall role model um, for Carrie and I, and I know our peers as well. And we are just so thankful that we were able to capture this hour, this hour conversation with him. So we hope that you took a little piece of inspiration and a little sprinkle of advice from Dr. Casberry from this episode, and you're able to incorporate it into your everyday lives to help you be a little bit more purposeful and uh, add a little bit more excitement into your day to day. With that, happy holidays to all of you. Enjoy your winter break, and we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thank you.